Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this letter of Paul's to the Corinthians, um, particularly the first of his two letters that he writes to the Corinthians. And uh, we've been trying to see how these words directed uh, to a, a little community uh, some 2,000 years ago can still have really powerful things uh, to say to us. As well as uh, looking at them uh, on a Sunday, uh, the home group that I'm uh, privileged to be a part of on a Tuesday, meet, meeting very kindly at David and Alison's house, we've been uh, looking at those passages as well. And we've spent uh, a couple of weeks in chapter one, uh, and uh, we're reminded about the way in which, in chapter one, Paul calls uh, for unity in the church. And uh, we actually spent uh, a really profitable conversation uh, talking about what unity means and um, how important it is both to Paul and to the church today. And afterwards, um, uh, uh, Sue and I had a, a quick chat uh, uh, and we were thinking about how such a, a simple thing, a simple uh, statement that Christ wants us to be united actually ends up being deeply profound. And as we were talking, I was reminded of a, a phrase I once heard, and I, I don't know who said it first, so um, forgive me, but it's, it goes something along the lines uh, of this. It says, the truths of scripture are safe enough for mice to paddle and deep enough for elephants to swim. Okay? The truths of scripture are safe enough for mice to paddle and deep enough for elephants to swim. Now, if I'd been a bit better organized, I'd have got a picture of mice paddling and elephants swimming, okay? I haven't got that, so just use your imagination, okay? It's a little phrase which reminds us that often the truths of scripture, the most important truths of scripture, are not difficult to understand. That's like the mice paddling. Okay? Apologies if anyone doesn't like mice. Think of something else small with little feet. Okay? There's, there's beautiful truths that one does not need, you know, loads of education and degrees and so on, even though those are wonderful things, to understand. But in those simple truths, there are such depths that we can spend our lives trying to understand them, trying to apply them. And I want to spend just a few minutes this morning doing that with one of the simple truths that is at the heart of our faith and that is mentioned in this passage from 1 Corinthians. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. A simple, simple phrase, isn't it? Often see it outside churches, often see it inside churches, often sing about it, don't we? Jesus is Lord. One of the early creeds of the church, one of the early things that the church said about Jesus, which of course for them was incredibly dangerous because Caesar was Lord. 
And to, so, and to say Jesus is Lord immediately put them in a different and potentially dangerous situation. Those three words which proclaim something so uh, simple that every Christian can understand it and yet so profound. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of me? My behavior, my decisions, my thoughts, my words, my relationships, my everything. Jesus is Lord. For the Corinthians, this included what they ate. Jesus is Lord even over what you eat. A big deal in that culture. I want to suggest that we take a few minutes and to ask, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord over one of the big issues in our culture? Did you know that Lloyds Bank commissioned some research recently and found that 50%, half of all UK adults, believe that talking about personal money matters is taboo. Half of all UK adults believe that talking about personal money matters is taboo. 43% of people have felt embarrassed talking about personal finances, and a quarter, one in four, have lied to their family and friends about their personal finances. Money in the UK is a bigger taboo than sex, religion, or politics. 50% of adults believe that talking about personal money is unacceptable, higher than sex, which is only 42%, religion, 26%, or politics, 14%. We're not good at this. And just for the record, I'm not good at this, okay? I don't like talking about money. I certainly don't like talking about money with my brothers and sisters. But I want to do it this morning for at least three simple reasons. One, because we're giving this letter out today. We're giving the letter out because our finances are not in good state. Secondly, I want to talk about it because when I went to read the passage for this week's sermon, I turned to chapter 8 and I read this long section about how wonderful it is to give. And I thought, isn't that amazing? The Lord's given me this word for this Sunday. Then I realized I was reading 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, okay? But I did wonder whether, all right, maybe the Lord is telling us we need to do this. And thirdly, and perhaps most simply, because Jesus is Lord. Now, when I start talking about money, I have a very simple goal. By the end of the service this morning, I want you to join with me in moving from a place 
where money may be a source of guilt or resentment to a place where money is a place of freedom and love. Okay? Guilt and resentment to freedom and love. Why do I think that money is so often a place of guilt or resentment? Firstly, because there is lurking within all of us this sense that I should do more. There are people worse off than me. We see them on the television screens. We see them on our streets. We see them in, in so many different ways. I should do more. And also, potentially, a sense of resentment. As well as those images of people in need, we are forever, aren't we, bombarded with images of people who are beautiful and having the time of their lives and are very wealthy. Do you know, I barely know who Taylor Swift is. I couldn't tell you a Taylor Swift song. I couldn't, I think she did one about shake it up or shake it off or something like that. Okay, anyway, I don't know anything about Taylor Swift. But I know that Taylor Swift is now dating an American footballer. Why do I know that? I don't need to know that. She's young and she's slim and she's beautiful. And there are hundreds if not thousands of images bombarding us every single day of young, slim, beautiful people who are all incredibly wealthy. And trust me, I don't look at funny websites. Okay, I don't. I just look at the BBC website. Okay, that's all the only one I look at. Okay? It's easy to feel guilty. It's easy to feel resentful. I should do more. But look at all these other people. And they've all got more money than me. Why do I have to struggle with this? As Christians, we have the opportunity to be set free from these traps. All I have is given by God. I belong to him. He is my Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this uh, beautiful phrase, they went beyond our expectation, having given themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. We belong to him. All our resources, all our time, all our talents, our skills, our possessions and our money, they belong to him. And we have this amazing opportunity to rejoice in his goodness and his grace. That all that we have comes because he has blessed us and he loves us and he longs for us to enjoy life in all its fullness. I had the privilege this week of, um, of visiting our treasurer, Stephen, in hospital. And it was a joy and, and I, I've haven't seen him for a long time. Stephen is full of grace and joy and positivity and delight. And the half hour or so I spent in his hospital room 
was a sheer blessing to me. He is horizontal. He hasn't walked for a long time. And the thought may be crossing his mind, perhaps it's crossing other people's, that he may never walk again. I don't know that. But he is full of gratitude and joy and delight. And one goes away from his presence, having been drawn closer to God. Everything that we have is a gift from him. And he wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to live life in all its fullness. And surely part of this is to offer back to him everything that he's given. You are Lord. How do you want me to use these things? My time, my talents, my words, my actions, my thoughts, my possessions, my money. How do you want me to use them? And do you know what? The Lord really, really isn't stupid. Okay? He really, really isn't. He knows that you have to pay certain things. He knows that. And do you know what? I am fairly confident that he can manage your finances better than you can. There used to be a, a, a little sort of poster in the centre. Um, it was uh, on, a, on a, uh, um, a filing cabinet next to where Rachel used to work. And um, it said, uh, if God is your co-pilot, okay, if God is your co-pilot, then swap seats, right? Do you know what? I think most of us, when it comes to finances, we're happy for God to be our co-pilot. It's all right. It's really good that you're there, but I'm looking after this bit. Thank you. Okay? Because deep down, I believe I can look after this better than you. And you can almost see the Lord smiling and nodding, going, yeah, 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 yeah. You carry on. Yep. I am pretty confident, in fact, I'm absolutely confident that he can manage yours and my finances better than you or I could. He is not stupid. He knows what we have to pay. He knows what we have to do. He knows the situations that we are in. But as we offer these things back to him, we have the opportunity for him to use our gifts, our resources, our time, talent, skills, possessions, and money for his glory. And as we do that, we can begin to get rid of the guilt, can't we? Lord, I've offered you these things, and together we've worked this out, so I no longer need to feel guilty. And I have worked this out together with you. So I no longer need to resent what other people have. So under God, I want to encourage you to take some time to work this out. And as we heard last week from Paul, this is a, another place where being a single person makes life easier. 
Isn't it, isn't it lovely that passage we had last week that affirmed singleness and said how good singleness is in the Lord's purposes? That you don't have to worry about lots of other people. You can just get on with it. Isn't that wonderful? And so often in church life, uh, single people somehow feel that they're sort of incomplete because they're single. And that's not what Paul says. Paul says single people have got a real advantage because you don't have to worry about other people. You just worry about serving the Lord. So big thumbs up for singleness. And when it comes to finances, big thumbs up for singleness. You haven't got to worry about spending it on anyone else. You just get on with it. What do I do with the Lord? And you work it out together. If you are blessed to be married, work it out with your spouse. If you are blessed to be in a family, work it out with your family. Most people know what their income is. Sit down, take some time, pray, bring it to the Lord, look to him for his guidance, let the Spirit speak. See what he wants to do with your time, talents, so on, and money. This is about responding in joy and delight to the grace and generosity of God that you have experienced. And to say, all this belongs to you. How do you want to use it? And when you have decided that, and when you've taken those decisions, then there's just joy and delight that this need no longer be a worry or a source of guilt or resentment. Many people have found the discipline of tithing to be a good and healthy place to start. That's what Joe and I uh, try to do. Working out our income, working out what 10% of that is, and then what we do is 90% of the 10% comes to St Christopher's, and 10% of the 10% we give away to organisations we, we have supported over many years. But what you do under God will be guided by him and his spirit. So you might be thinking, sitting there thinking, Tom, this is a lovely sermon, but at the end of the day, you want us to give the church some more money, don't you? Okay. Yes, of course I do. Of course I do. What's the point being dishonest about that? But I don't want you to give it out of a sense of obligation or guilt or resentment. I want you to be free, free to respond to all the goodness that God has given you. No more guilt about money. If you like, on the way out, if you want me to tell you how much I earn, I'll tell you, all right? You can Google it, honestly. Vickers in Birmingham, how much do they earn? Okay, you can find out. It's perfectly publicly available information, okay? So that, so there we are. But I'm not telling you about any other embarrassing things, okay? The point is, we want to come before God, don't we? Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of our money. So no more guilt, no more resentment. Just freedom, delight and love as we respond to him. Amen.
Thank you, Tom. That was lovely. Nicely delivered about how we should let go and feel free about doing it. Would Hot Chocolate Cafe like to leave? It's your time. Thank you. And now I'd like us to look on the words on the screen and whether you'd like, I'd like you all to stand as we, as we all say the creed together. <laughs> 